40 days after the resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven. Having crushed Satan's head by the cross and the resurrection and the ascension, Jesus then launched his next offensive against evil. What was it? Get your Bibles and let's talk about it. What are the key events in the history of redemption? Redemption refers to the price one has to pay to get back what one has lost. So to redeem is to purchase back at a cost. In the biblical perspective, we originally belonged to God, but became lost through sin. The requirements of God's holiness and righteousness were so great that it was impossible for mankind to fulfill them. Mankind was separated from God and God wanted mankind back. But mankind was in the slave market of Satan. So we couldn't get out by ourselves. We had to be bought. We had to be purchased. So the price was, the price was a perfect sacrifice, which we could not make. God paid the price for us through Christ. He redeemed us, bought us back with the tremendous cost of the death of God's only begotten Son, the perfect sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died on the cross to buy us out of the slave market of sin. His blood obtained an eternal redemption for us. So redemption is the price that God paid to get us back from the devil. Redemption answers the legal claims of God's perfect, holy, righteous law. That payment paid a price and set in place the forgiveness of our sins, our becoming children of God, and the eternal life of God is placed in us as believers. Let's review the key events in the history of redemption. Number one, first, was the Old Testament. God revealed himself. He spoke in many ways through many times to our forefathers through the prophets. Hebrews chapter one and verse one tells us that God spoke long ago to our forefathers by the prophets in bits and pieces. He was establishing truth. He was revealing himself and his ways. He was revealing his redemptive purposes. Next, number two, was the arrival of God in the flesh to earth, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Redeemer himself. The Redeemer was the one who would pay the redemption price. And the Lord Jesus Christ came and dwelt among mankind. The next great event in God's redemption history was 33 years later when the Lord Jesus was crucified. The Lord Jesus established the new covenant of grace by becoming the once and for all eternal sacrifice for our sins. His was such a perfect and complete sacrifice, so satisfying to God that there has never needed to be another one. His is sufficient 
And that payment made it possible for God to redeem us. It satisfied his holy law. He used that to buy us back, to buy mankind back for himself. The next key event happened three days later when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. It was God's affirmation that he was satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ. The debt of man's sin had been paid. When Jesus said it is finished, it literally means paid in full, paid in full. So God's holiness had been satisfied by a perfectly holy sacrifice. Then after the resurrection, Jesus spent the next 40 days on earth in his glorified body. The next key event then occurred, and it was the ascension into heaven of our Lord Jesus. As he went back to heaven, he was crowned and seated at the right hand of God the Father, victorious, having completed redemption. But number six is the next key event. And it happened 10 days later when the Lord Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. This was God's launching of his next offensive against Satan. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 24. The Gospel of Luke in chapter 24. And let's begin reading at verse 44. 44. And again, we've looked at this before in some of our lessons. This is Luke's account. It's kind of a summary account, but let's begin in 44 and Jesus is speaking. And he said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my father upon you but you are to stay in the city, stay in Jerusalem, until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came about that while he was blessing them, he parted from them. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Now go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, and let's begin reading in verse 1. The first account I composed, that would be Luke, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, when he ascended, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And gathering them together, 
He commanded them not to leave to Jerusalem, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, well, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the uttermost part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received them, him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them and they also said, men of Galilee, why are you standing looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, the son of James, Jude, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with certain women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. And at this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 persons was there together. I'm going to stop right there. So here are the apostles and Jesus brothers and all the women waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Mary, Jesus' mother, is there. Just to mark in your margin of your Bible, if you want to, this is the last mention of the Virgin Mary in Scripture. Uh, we can know right here that she needed a Savior. And when the Holy Spirit is poured out in Acts chapter 2, she too was placed in the body of Christ as a redeemed Christian. So as they were all there waiting, they prayed, they had fellowship, they talked, they rejoiced, they praised, they worshiped. They did what believers do or what we're supposed to do. And so there was joy. They were filled with joy and they had understanding that they had lived through scripture being fulfilled. They are making connections. It's dawning on them. We saw in Luke chapter 24 and verse 25 that Jesus had opened the minds of the apostles to understand the scriptures. And so they're making connections and they've been through Jesus' teaching for three years and another 40 days. So they're processing information. They're getting it. They're putting it together. Everything that has happened has been a part of God's plan. So here they are going, yes, oh yeah, now we get it. And so even so, Jesus had told them, go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait until you have received power. Yeah, they have been 
equipped. They've been equipped. They had been with Jesus. They had followed Jesus. They had been instructed by Jesus. All that Jesus had taught them had come together and they knew who Jesus was. They knew the message of salvation. They knew what he had done in their lives. It had dawned on them and they are chomping at the bits, ready to run preach. But Jesus said, you've got to wait. You have to wait. You have to receive the power given to you by the Holy Spirit. There's a principle here that has spoken deeply in my heart as I've been preparing these lessons. And that is they had been thoroughly equipped. What humans have ever been better equipped than these people? They've been with him, they know, but being equipped was not enough. They had to be empowered. They had to be empowered. So that's a principle for us. I'm guilty. I think so many times we're guilty of relying on our equipment, relying on the fact that we know that we studied. But no matter how much we know, no matter how much we study, we still have got to have the power of the Holy Spirit. So even though they had been thoroughly equipped and they were chomping at the bits to preach, Jesus said, uh-uh, uh-uh, you're going to have to wait. Now, what did he say in Acts chapter one and verse eight? You shall receive power. That's the word dunamis. That's the word from which we get our word dynamite. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, which is where they were, in Judea, which was their surrounding area, in Samaria, which was a place that they almost never went, and then the remotest parts of the earth. Until the day the Holy Spirit was given, the Great Commission could not advance. The Great Commission was sitting there, waiting to be able to be preached with power, even to the uttermost parts of the world. What did Jesus said? What is the Great Commission? You go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always until the end of the world. You go. And they're like, yeah. And then he says, but wait, wait. It's not a good word for us. We don't like that. Jesus said, you got to wait. Wait for what? power. Power for what? To be witnesses. To be witnesses. How would they get the power? By the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Power for what? Witnessing. To be able with power and freedom and conviction to tell the world the gospel of Christ. So here they are. They had been waiting as Jesus told them, and they waited for 10 days after the ascension. Acts chapter two records the initial coming of the Holy Spirit to indwell believers and inaugurate the church. That's what Acts chapter two is all about. The chapter begins 
with, and when the day of Pentecost had come. Literally, it says, and when the day of Pentecost was being fulfilled. Now hold that in your brain. Literally, when the day of Pentecost was being fulfilled, because this timing is very, very important. Pentecost was a Jewish feast that took place 50 days after Passover. It commemorated the wheat harvest and celebrated the harvest that was to come. Now, sometimes they would commemorate wheat. Sometimes you see that they were commemorating barley. I'm good with, they were commemorating their grain, their grain harvest. And so what happened was it pointed to the coming harvest. When you go to your garden and you see your first green beans or cucumbers, you look and there are blooms and you expect that there is more to come. So that's what this was about. All Old Testament feasts are pictures of the work of Christ. The word Nisan, Nisan is the first month on the Jewish calendar, the religious calendar. And so the first feast was on the 14th of Nisan, and that was the feast of the Passover. This feast remembers the last plague in Egypt when the angel of death passed over the children of Israel who applied the blood of the lamb to their doorposts. It's interesting to read about that because they would set the bucket of, a, of, of blood coming from their slain lamb without blemish, uh, the firstborn lamb, and so they would put it there and they would take, um, I don't remember what you call it, a, a, a group of, of, of weed something that they would dip in there, hyssop I think is what it is, they dip in there and raise it up and mark the top and each side. What does that remind you of? It's predicting, prophesying the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they applied the blood of the lamb to their doorpost. And so this feast pointed to Messiah as the Passover lamb, whose blood would be shed for our sins. So it was a blueprint of what Jesus was going to do. Jesus was crucified on the very same day that Passover lambs were being slain. The day of Passover. The timing of this, the way God lined it up is stunning. You've got to know that it's God. And so he was crucified on that very day that Passover lambs were being slain. And so Jesus fulfilled the Passover on the day of Passover. He was the ultimate Passover lamb. So they celebrated Passover. The Feast of Unleavened Bread began the next day, Nisan the 15th. And it was a seven-day feast. It had to do with leaven. Leaven in Scripture represents sin. And so they were dealing with doing away with sin. And so their representation of that was not eating any leaven. They wouldn't even have any in the house. So they were backing off from leaven. And that was a picture of the sinless 
person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that seven-day feast began the day after Passover. Well, the next day was the Feast of First Fruits. It was celebrated on the 16th day of Nisan, and it celebrated the beginning of harvest, the beginning of the harvest. And so they would get a bundle of grain, a sheaf of grain, which is just a bunch of stalks of grain, and they would wave the stalks before the Lord. That's what they did. And it was a sign of the harvest that was to come, the Feast of First Fruits. It was the first of the harvest that was to come. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20, we're told that Christ is the first fruits of those who sleep, those who have died. Christ is the first fruits of those who have died. So Jesus, guess what? Rose from the dead on the day of the feast of first fruits. He represents the first of the great harvest of souls that's going to come raised to eternal life. So he was crucified on Passover. He was raised from the dead on the day of Feast of First Fruits. But then number four is the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. This feast occurs exactly seven weeks after the Feast of First Fruits. Now, Pentecost means 50 days, 50 days. So this time, instead of waving stalks of grain in a sheaf, they would wave two loaves of bread. Think about that. We've moved on the Feast of First Fruits from stalks of grain, waving them before the Lord, a wave offering, to two loaves of bread, waving them before the Lord, another wave offering. So on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Christ, the Holy Spirit came. So on the day of Ascension, Jesus said, you've got to go to Jerusalem and wait. They waited 10 days. And so when they waited, then God and the Lord Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. And his arrival was the birthday of the church. What made it that way? The, the, the Holy Spirit for the first time would indwell believers instead of be with believers. It was the birthday of the church. Now think about this. The loaves of bread represent a full union of grain. You thinking about it? A full union of grain. Once you bake loaves of bread, you can't separate that bread back into those original stalks of grain that started out with. It cannot be divided. It is a body. It is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. Here's what happened. Many pieces of grain were crushed 
and transform into a common body, a common body. The Holy Spirit came as Jesus said he would. What did he say? He said, look, I'm going away. And if I go away, it's going to be better for you. It's better for you if I go away. Because when I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He will be your helper. He is all kinds of things, but he's called a paraclete there. He's going to be your helper and he will be in you instead of with you. The Holy Spirit came because Jesus said he would. Now we know that they're in the room praying and all of that, and that's good. It's good for us, and we've learned in our prayer study that we want to pray in accordance with God's will. And so he had told them his will was to send the Holy Spirit. So they're praying, but he didn't come because they were praying. He did not come in answer to their prayer. He came in affirmation of his word. He came because he said he was coming. Now think about this. This whole picture that God designed before he created the world. It is an eternal picture where in the Old Testament, God taught them about himself and he began to teach them about Passover, about the necessity of the shedding of blood for the remission of sin. So he taught them and they killed animals and he taught them if you kill a lamb, a perfect lamb, follow my instructions, mark your house with the blood of that lamb, then death will pass over you. And death did not touch their house. The houses that were not marked by the blood experienced horrible death of their firstborn. So what was God doing? He was teaching, he was showing, he was building what everybody was gonna to need to know. He was building what he was going to explain to the apostles when they got to this place in their lives and ministry. So he's telling them about that. And so then what? He came as a sinless servant of the Lord. He was God, he was sinless. And then on the day of first fruits, what did he do? He was raised from the dead. He was the beginning of the harvest. And the first harvest that we see was right there where Peter began to preach. What did he do? He said, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses. And when the Holy Spirit came, Peter started to preach and the first harvest was 3,000 souls. The power of the Holy Spirit resides in the church. The church is not a building. The church is a group of people all over the world who are believers. And in all of us who are believers, the Holy Spirit resides. It happens at the moment that we're saved. And so the church age began. So Jesus went away and he said, now it's your job. You go tell the world. And the church was empowered to be witnesses of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Are we equipped or are we empowered? God help us. Amen.